Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning into SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. So don't forget to subscribe, hit the notification button on YouTube. You can watch along. You don't just have to listen to us. You can look at us as well on the YouTube channel, doing some good stuff over there. Hopefully more to come. Look for an announcement next week from Subway Sports Talk. Some exciting content, specifically perhaps to our New Yorkers in the crowd. You might be enjoying some of that stuff coming up soon, so stay tuned for that. And also with me today, my guy, here all year talking football, but now looking to flex some muscles on the basketball court. He's ready to rip some NBA takes. We're going into the final stretch of the NBA season. It's exciting. This is the best part of the NBA season, and none other than Pat Boyle is here to talk to me. Patty B, what's up, brother? Patty, what's up, dude? There is life without football. There is life beyond football, I promise you. And, you know, coming up here the next, like, 30, 40 days, honestly, it's it's not as good as postseason football, but it's the next best thing. We got the NBA season heating up, the final month, final full month of the regular season. We got March Madness, baby. We got college hoops. We got conference tournaments. We got the big dance. So I'm, I'm jacked up. And we got St. Patty's Day. So, you know, I'm looking forward to the next 30, 40 days here, man. We got some excited stuff. I felt some like big zoo energy in that in that last one there. We got St. Patty's Day. Yeah, and the the twang in your voice just sounded like our boy at our Zoom in there. Uh, we we just did we did a, a college troops podcast the other day, so he's rubbing off on me. There you go. That's better for worse. <laughs> Here it goes. So we'll, speaking of college hoops, we'll do at the end. We're gonna do some rapid fire NBA stuff, but one of those questions will incorporate college hoops. And I know you've been locked into your your NCAA men, so. We'll talk about perhaps some draft prospect uh, later down the road. Hit those when we hit those rapid fire questions. We're also going to hit some big topics: the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau, obviously the Nets and the Sixers and their new looks. The exciting MVP race, which some people want to act like maybe isn't that exciting. I'm here to say, ladies and gentlemen, it is exciting. There's some good stuff. Um, some interesting conversations about some of our young and upcoming finals contenders, perhaps amongst some other things. So let's get busy. But first, let's hear from our friends over at DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking like a wide-open three from the corner, perhaps the most efficient shot in basketball besides a layup or free throw. That's how good it is. Can't pass it up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21-plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 
789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. DraftKings got some exciting stuff. We'll talk about some odds in a minute because as we approach this, I already mentioned the MVP race. There's also an interesting rookie of the year race and that's some stuff, you know, the games start here, Pat, on Thursday when this podcast released. So there's regular NBA action, but if you're looking to get frisky with some futures, there's actual possibilities to make a pick you're confident in, you're proud of, and try to win some money here in the MVP realm. Because you look at the odds, and there's three people in the realistic range, right? We'll talk about it. That'll be a, a few topics down the road. But like, for example, Embiid plus 130, Jokic plus 270, Giannis plus 400. Anyone who tells you that this is already over, they're wrong. So there's there's opportunities here, and we'll break that down in a minute. Um, Pat, also real quick, WFAN Thursday night. Oh, sorry, I should say Friday morning. But, you know, I can't get that right. Thursday night, midnight, on to uh, the morning hours. You're going to be hosting on WFAM. Let me just ask you this. Are you, if say basketball was your opening topic, because I'm I'm sure it may or may not be, because baseball, what the hell is going on over there? But just say basketball is your opening topic. Are you going Knicks, Thibodeau, and the disgrace that they've been over the past month? Or are you opening with the Nets and their new look roster that has high hopes, but still a lot of question marks? That's a good question, Pete. And uh, yeah, I always say like Thursday night into Friday morning because if you say Friday morning, people think like the normal, yeah, like, yeah, yeah the right. morning show, which I'm obviously not doing with Boomer and Geo. So I always say Thursday night because most people are awake when midnight rolls around. And then once midnight hits, it, it is Friday morning. So yeah, midnight to 5 a.m. So by the time this episode comes out, it'll be Thursday. So it'll be later tonight. Yeah, I appreciate you shouting out 12 to 5 a.m. Um, and, and that's a good question. And I think honestly, I'm undecided right now. I think I could go both. Um, if the Nets weren't playing on Thursday, it would absolutely be the Knicks. It would be Tibbs. It would be Julius. It would be RJ getting back to practice. And it would be Leon Rose and, and Wild Wild West. And they got to be held accountable. And what the hell are they doing? It's basically everybody's scapegoating Tibbs right now. But the fact that the Nets play on Thursday, depending if that's a good game, and depending on what happens in that game, it definitely gives me some leeway. So if like the Celtics, if the Nets go out and they get buried by the Celtics tomorrow, then I then maybe I've got my open there. But if it's just a regular run of the mill game and the Nets win by like three or four, I don't know. But I know Boston's seven point favorite, so uh, I definitely have an option to go with either war. And I definitely will be talking about both teams. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I know I know that didn't answer your question, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to help you. Maybe you can look at this as a little production meeting, trying to give you some ideas here. Now, right, right? We'll, we'll figure it out as uh, our podcast goes on. Maybe you'll feel more confidently about some certain takes or not. But it's tough with the Nets specifically when they just don't have their guys playing yet, right? You can come out and try and be very critical of them, but you'll end up saying, yeah, like, you know, Kevin Durant wasn't playing. Yeah, you know, Ben Simmons wasn't playing yet. Oh, it was a home game, so Kyrie wasn't playing. So how are you going to really be critical about that specific game? It's almost more overarching until at least Kevin Durant's back and Ben Simmons, you know, the Kyrie thing, who knows what's happening with the mandate. So until some of those guys are playing, it's hard to be too specifically critical. You almost, you almost have to be overarching and then like projecting forward. That's a whole nother conversation. So let's, let's start with the New York Knicks. Then Pat, we'll start with Tom Thibodeau and all the, the fluctuation going on in New York. Kemba Walker, they announced today is not going to be suiting up. He's not going to be hitting the court for the Knicks for the rest of the season, which is something that, 
probably isn't going to affect their day-to-day on the court, unfortunately. Uh, but it's still kind of shocking in, in a lot of ways just because who Kemba is, the relationship he has maybe with Leon Rose and the chance they took, but now he's out. Not sure if that matters. What's interesting, though, is what Tom Thibodeau has kind of been saying to the media over the past couple weeks and months that is interesting to me because he's never talked like this before, Pat. He's talking about numbers. He's talking about the analytics. He keeps hyping up Alec Burks for some reason, how he's the most likely candidate to take over the starting point guard uh, job because he's been the best by the numbers. And it's something that Knicks fans are like, what numbers, bro? Like, I don't know what you're watching. We're not seeing him be that great. You know, He had a good run early as a bench guy, nice little spot start guy. Hasn't been special, I don't think, right? So Tom Thibodeau speaking with new language. My question to you, to, and to keep it open-ending so you kind of take it anywhere you want, is Tom Thibodeau doomed? Is he gone no matter what? Is there something that he can do to change his script with this Knicks team and remain the coach going into next year? And overall, is this team just punting the rest of the season? So that's, yeah, it's definitely open-ended. I will start by saying the Knicks are, they're punting, but it's a good punt. It's a punt that gets down inside the 20. Because this is what we've been begging for since Tibbs got here, and that's play the young guys. And they've been stuck in this. You, I know you talk about this so many times. They've been stuck in the mediocre middle where they're obviously not good enough to go further enough to win a, an NBA title. We found that out very, very brutally last year in the playoffs against Atlanta. And they're obviously not one of the worst teams in the league, although the last month or so they've played like it. But that being said, I think we, you know, at the end of the season, the way this year has gone, we see the Knicks as winning 36 games, going 36 and 46, uh, probably finishing 10th or 11th, and probably just missing the NBA with the play-in, which, again, making the play-in for this team really wouldn't do anything. Maybe gives you a couple days of hope or a couple days of glimmer that the Knicks might be able to catch fire. I've been waiting for them to catch fire for weeks. It hasn't happened. So... We've been asking Tibbs and we've been asking World Wide West and Leon Rose in the front office to play the young guys rather than, oh, well, maybe Kemba can give some flashes of greatness and, and you know, maybe Alec Burks and, and Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson can stay healthy and Julius can start figuring it out, but it's it's not happening. So I'm glad this is this is happening and I'm glad that we're, we're at in this part of the season because now we're going to see hopefully 25 to 30 minutes a game from Emmanuel quickly rather than 20. Hopefully, we're going to see 20 to 22 minutes a game from Obi instead of just 15. Hopefully, we're going to see more Deuce McBride. Hopefully, we're going to see more Quentin Grimes. Um, so in that part, in, in that regard, I like it. And look, Kemba, the, the, what was it, the 44.9 rebound, 8 assist game he had a couple months ago and the the 10 point, 10 rebound, 10 assists, basically, you know, the barely triple-double he had on, on Christmas Day. That's great. That's awesome. Like, I'm, it, it's sad, right? I'm, gra- I'm glad that, that the Knicks took a risk on Kemba. It was low, uh, high risk, low reward, and it turned out to be low reward. No, I think it was it was high risk. Oh uh, no, yeah, low risk, high reward. Yes, there you go. Yes, exactly. And low it turns risk. out that, and it turns out that it was low risk because of what Kemba Walker has turned into, and that's all the injuries with the knee. He just doesn't have the explosiveness. He's never been a good defender, but you know who's who was the one that made that call? Was that Leon Rose that wanted to bring Kemba Walker here to New York? Probably. It was probably, uh, you know, when we talk about who's been making the decisions to sign guys, it's probably Rose with Worldwide West helping him out. Um, and ultimately, it, it never really worked out. And yep. 
again, it's it sucks to see that happen to Kemba, but it's for the best. Um, he's never he's never going to play another game in a Knicks uniform. And again, some team will probably try again with him next year. You know, kick the kick the tires, see what Kemba can give you for a couple of months on playing twenty minutes a game. But he was in a back hole, right? Yeah, exactly. He was he was he was stunted growth of some of these young players, which the Knicks thought that okay, if we're a playoff team that can maybe get in, uh, you know, get to the second round going into the year. Kemba's going to be a veteran that can help us if he's if he has a game where he can drop twenty points, if he can stay on the perimeter and hit five threes, and it just it never worked out. So ultimately, I'm glad that this happened. Um, Tibbs, I don't think is he's he's not gone. I think he has the backing of Dolan. I think he has the backing of of Leon Rose. Um, I think they didn't do him any favors in types of the the type of coach he is. Defense first. We saw him get the best out of the Knicks last year. He was NBA Coach of the Year for a reason, right? You can't go from you don't win NBA Coach of the Year and and not be a good coach. We know that he's worn out his welcome before. He did it in Chicago. He did it in Minnesota. The front office moves that they made in the offseason didn't help him. Right? We said, okay, look, if Evan Fournier is going to drop twenty points a game and be and hit and shoot forty two percent from deep, if Kemba's going to have some flashes of greatness, if all these players that they sign in the offseason. If this is going to work out, okay, awesome. But it hasn't, and their defense took a substantial hit. That was the that was the part that we were all worried about was how much of offense that you're now boostering will then you have to take a hit on defense. And it turns out it was way too much of a hit because they're mediocre, uh, you know, playing defense at best now. And we see that the way Tibbs likes to coach, it does not mesh with the players that they brought in. So. I think I wouldn't say they set him up for failure, but it had to all work out perfectly. They had to play as good of defense as last year. Tibbs had to nail the rotations and the injuries to D Rose and the COVID early on. And now the injury to RJ has all, it's been miserable. It's another miserable season in New York sports. So like, we're not, I'm not surprised where we've become accustomed to this. That being said, I think Tibbs still has the backing of the players. I still think he's extremely respected. I still think that this team can have success if they have a positive offseason this year. Again, ultimately, the Knicks are never going to win an NBA title until they land another huge star, which we've been waiting on for 10 years, so don't hold your goddamn breath. But that being said, um, yeah, I don't think Tibbs is gone. I think the Knicks are punting, and it's a good punt, and I'm excited to see hopefully now these young guys that they've drafted, hopefully they, they get the most out of them here. I agree with a lot of what you said. I'll push back on a thing or two down down the road here. First on Kemba, I put out a video on TikTok and Instagram right when the signing happened. I called it the good, the bad, the ugly, the Kemba Walker signing. And I, honestly, I think the good, the bad, and the ugly all happened because like you said, it was low risk. It was a no-brainer to give him a shot. There was almost no reason to not try it out. Now, obviously, it didn't go uh, well, which is why the bad and the ugly come to play. He missed uh, almost 20 games this year. And when he played, he wasn't a good defender, and his offense took a hit. That's literally the good, the bad, the ugly. The injury prone, the diminishing play, and the good was it didn't really cost much, right? And that's exactly how it played out. So the Kemba Walker thing, unfortunate, but it is what it is. On the Tom Thibodeau front, I also put out a video now two years ago almost when he got signed as the Knicks head coach. And what I said was pretty simple. I said, if you asked me this a year, not three years ago, but a year ago from when they signed him as the head coach, I would have been pretty upset with that with that hiring. But I looked back and I really tried to dig deep into Tibbs' uh, coaching career 
why it worked, why it didn't work, when and where and why. The, the, the story is with Tom Thibodeau, if there's talent on the roster, he can win games. That's it. And that goes to be true for a lot of coaches, some more than others. But if there's a talented roster, they will play to a certain level and win a lot of games. It's happened when Derrick Rose was a stud in Chicago. It happened when Derrick Rose was hurt in Chicago. They had talent, they won. When they had talent in Minnesota, they won. When the Knicks had a deep, solid roster last year, they played above their heads and they won. And this year, the biggest mistake was by all of us. All of us fans, anyone in the media, anybody projecting the Knicks to be a top five seed in the Eastern Conference, they were never that team. They were never that talented. They don't have that guy. As soon as Julius Randle was looked at as a true number one in the playoff series, he wasn't as successful. This entire year, he's been looked at as a true number one. He hasn't been as successful. And despite all the growth from R.J. Barrett that we all love so much, he's not ready to be a number one. He's a 2-3 at best. And that's just what it is. The The depth was seemed to be a strength early, and it maybe not, not has been as big a strength as just a huge contrast from a starting lineup that's been abysmal the entire year. So all that being said, I think that bodes well for Tom Thibodeau possibly keeping this job, but my bet is that he doesn't have the job. My bet is that uh, Leon Rose and Wes want to revamp this because I think the word is out that stars aren't going to want to do what Tom Thibodeau is asking him. Whether they're wrong or right in that notion, I think the belief is we need a coach to find the happy medium between Tom Thibodeau and, for lack of a better example right now, a David Fisdale, where people are like, oh, this guy's great, but he didn't do anything positive, right? Tibbs is the opposite end of the spectrum. They're, they're two opposites. Neither is going to make a great team with this roster, but somebody in the middle is going to find the balance and hopefully allow young guys to grow while still encouraging veterans to be those dudes and be those leaders. Somewhere that, that, that got lost this year. The defense wasn't there. The offense was bad. And I think the saving grace it, for Tom Thibodeau is what you outlined. If he leans in, really leans in, and has a good, strong final push here in the last 20 or so games, even if they go 10 and 10, but they play competitive basketball and they look relevant and Grimes plays better and McBride shows some flashes and quickly is not just a guy taking heat checks, but actually facilitating an offense, Tibbs saves his job. Tibbs saves his job. But if he tries to run Alec Burks, Fournier, uh, Randall for 35 minutes a game and they go 10 and 10 or they go 8 and 12 or whatever record that's mediocre to bad, then he's done. His only hope to save this job is through the young guys. And I think we all see it. All the fans have been asking for it for years, even before Tibbs was the coach. We've been asking for our young guys to get a real chance because we're not that team. We're not going as far as anybody thinks we are. So we might as well see what we have. If he doesn't do that, he's gone. His saving grace is the guys that Leon and Wes just drafted. Grimes, McBride, etc. Quickly, those crew. If those guys don't help them play competitive basketball, Tibbs is gone because he's not doing his best to put this team in the right direction. And that's and that's fair, and I agree with that. Um, yeah, but that being said, I think a crucial question that needs to be asked here is, did Leon Rose and, and William Wesley set Tibbs up to fail this year? Knowing the type of coach he is, that he's defense first, and they went in and brought Fournier and Kemba. And again, I know we all love to try to see the the fault in the stars, or not even the opposite. We like to see the silver lining in that, 
and we'd like to see, and we we would love to say, oh, you know what, Fournier, his guy, that's the three guy that the Knicks didn't have as another scorer, and if Kemba can be healthy, we right, foolishly thought we foolishly thought Kemba had really anything left to give you an effort of a of a high level starting point guard in the NBA. All right, hey, maybe the Knicks, you know, this is this is the bolstering they needed, but you know, again, we see now the reality of it, and we see that a defensive minded coach who whose front office brought in two guys who play no lick of defense. Do you think that they were maybe setting him up so that if they had a bad year, they had a reason to fire him? Yeah. My counter question would be, do they care? Exactly. You kind of just got there at the end. That would be my counter question. Do they care if they set him up to fail or not? Because as a general manager who has some sort of job security at this point, or at least another year or two to get going, they're going to look at other people first before they blame themselves, right? So Leon Rose and Wes aren't going to come out here and be like, you know, Tom did a good job because we really did not set him up for success this year. That's not how it's going to play out. We, how do we see it in every sport? It happens in football the most. You fire the coach, you get a new quarterback, and you try to save your job for another two years as a GM. That's more likely, I think, in this scenario than the front office being like, you know, we're going to give Tom another run because we did a bad job last summer, right? They're going to say we took calculated risks. They didn't work out and Tom wasn't able to put it together. I think that's as likely as the opposite. If, if I had to be, if I had to be a betting man, he's not the coach next year. Another saving grace though, if you have to look at all perspectives, Tibbs and Leon Rose are like buddies, right? Like they've been around the block together and that might play something here where he deserves another chance in Leon Rose's eyes. And I wouldn't be that mad about it. Now, frankly, I always looked at Tibbs as a bridge coach. I didn't expect him to be the coach to bring this team to a championship level contender just because the timeline wouldn't make sense. It doesn't happen like that, right? Like if you think about the Mark Jackson uh, reign in, in Golden State, like he was never going to make it to the peak, whether he was the right coach or the wrong coach, which I don't think he was the right coach. He did a good job for, for what it was worth. He was never going to make it to the pinnacle because that's just not how coaching is works in 90% of the NBA. Unless you're in one of these franchises like Miami, San Antonio. Uh, and I don't even know who else comes to mind in that, in that regard. Like these, these franchises will change coaches every two to four years. If they have to the bucks with the honest prime went through a couple coaches, you know? So I, I just don't think Tibbs was ever going to make it to the pinnacle. So if they have a chance to reset it now, I think they might take that chance. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think too, I think the addition of getting Derek Rose back, hopefully, I don't know if he's going to play um, on Friday against Miami. I think he's that. what we missed that man. Oh, absolutely. Just, like the whole team, which is crazy. Yeah, literally. Um, I think he is going to be back, definitely playing within the next seven days. So that is also going to be huge for Tibbs. Um, and we see what, what D Rose can do to this offense, whether, you know, coming on with the second unit and making guys like Obi and quickly that much better. Um, but I, again, I just, you know, I think like, yeah, Tibbs, he hasn't done that. He hasn't done a great job, obviously, this year. He's done a bad job, you know, from getting RJ Barrett basically hurt, leaving him on the floor with 30 seconds left in a game that was already decided and, and having him sprain his ankle. You know, RJ, of course, is going to defend him and say, oh, you know, it could have happened in the first quarter, but he shouldn't have been on the floor to the minutes, not starting the young guys at all, you know, and not playing the young guys relatively at all in the first few months of the season. And even still, we're still asking for it. So I get that. I'm not saying Tibbs has been perfect, and I'm not saying this. none of this is his fault. I just think 
at the same time, as much as we want to blame Tibbs and scapegoat Tibbs, we need to be blaming Leon Rose. Like, look at some of the free agents the Knicks just totally whiffed on. First of all, Kemba, whiff. We said it was, you know, low risk, high reward. And, you know, it, it, Brad Stevens could have told you what was going to happen with that last year. But we foolishly thought we could have got something out of – that they could have got something out of Kemba. But, like, a guy that that totally fits Tibbs' system that I never heard anything with the Knicks going after him, Alex Caruso. Did the Knicks oh, yeah. even did the Knicks talk to him? Did they make an offer? Four years, thirty-seven million. You're telling me they couldn't have made a contract offer to him instead of giving instead of giving Kemba two years twenty and Fournier three years fifty or whatever he got and re-signing, you know, Nerlens Noel and everybody else to re-sign. Um, why you know, no no talks. We we've heard talks, but nothing serious ever with Lonzo Ball. Um, DeMar DeRozan, obviously the steal of free agency. Everybody laughed at Chicago for the sign and trade in the three years, 82 million. He's an MVP candidate. And yes, I will elaborate on that further for everybody yeah, saying he doesn't deserve him to be in the conversation. I just, there were so many good signings that could have been had in free agency and, and for not an, ex, an exorbitant amount of money. And when we look back, basically all the Knicks did was re-sign a couple of guys that have not made a huge impact and then sign Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. Right. So and for a team, one name you didn't mention is the steadying force of that lineup last year, Reggie Bullock. Reggie yeah. Bullock, the epitome of a three and D guy who hit a high percentage of threes and played great defense every single night, one on one defense as well as team defense. Like that's a guy who you you let walk and you say, oh, you know, he's a nice player, but he didn't make that big a difference. But he was the glue. He was a glue guy for them who banged down open shots and grinded on defense. I think we miss him. I think we miss Reggie Bullock. Like right now, just th think about this. Not that Fournier would come off the bench. He, he probably should in a lot of situations. He'd probably be best off as an offensive player off the bench. But if Bullock was the starter next to RJ Barrett and Fournier was in the second unit with Derek Rose, that sounds pretty good. Sounds a lot better than what they've been running out all year. Yeah. And you know, the Reggie, the, the, you know, not signing Reggie doesn't look that bad because he's not having that great of a year with Dallas. And, you know, it's kind of hard being the, basically the third uh, wing guy off the bat, you know, outside of it behind Tim Hardaway and his numbers are down, but um, yeah, I mean, again, not like, why didn't you try to re-sign him, especially because he fit in so well. And another guy that I think they miss badly from two years ago, our man, Bobby Potus. Oh yeah, Portis, bro. Guy's I mean, he has turned into an absolute stud for Milwaukee, and the injury to Lopez helped him become basically the the the, the fourth go to guy outside of Holiday, Giannis, and and Middleton. They're big three. He's the fourth best player on that team. I'll make that argument, and he has been sensational for this year. And he's you know they call him Bobby Potis because he's knocking down threes. He wanted to shoot in the three point contest. He's been awesome this year, um, and I just I just think some of the guys that the Knicks have failed to sign and have let go over the last couple of years, plus the guys they have signed and, you know, hasn't really worked out that well. I just, I, I just, I, I think more, much more blame deserves uh, to go on Leon Rose. And again, there isn't enough because he does, we haven't heard him speak all year. Right. So obviously Tibbs is the easy scapegoat. And when we see the Knicks blow three 25-point leads over the span of a week and a half, well, you know, you immediately point to coaching. Coaching, how do you let that happen? That's on the coach. He deserves to be fired. How, how could this happen? How, I mean, you know, when, you're, when your starting point guard goes down for two months, three months, and now you're, you're probably best player and R.J. Barrett's been hurt for the last couple of weeks. I mean, are we really that surprised that the Knicks season is just totally coming off the rails? Like, could, could, if we brought Monty Williams in here three weeks ago, 
without no. D. Rose and R.J. Barrett. Is Monty Williams going 10-5 and five over the last 15 games? Absolutely not. No one is. No. I mean, you know, if you pick if you pick the, the top three coaches in the league, maybe they do better. But, yeah, I'm 100% with you. The craziest part about this final run uh, before the All-Star break is that some of those losses, they played so good. for played so good for, for, for 35 minutes. You can argue, like, they were on the right track, like, getting back to the right thing, and they just kept blowing these leads. And it was like, what, did, we, did any of this matter? Like, does anything make sense here? And then you sit there with, you know, 13 out of 16 losses in a row. Like what the hell just happened? This season's over. But the the story, the matter of fact is not the story. The moral of the story, yeah. Moral story, matter of fact, whatever you want to say, is that it's another year. Take last year away. It's another year where we're sitting here with twenty games left, saying, "Just play the young guys. We got to see what we got. Let's make sure we get a good pick because we're not going to be making noise in the playoffs anyway." And this year that we thought put us on a trajectory to being a consistent playoff year was more of a blip and not reality. And we sit here again with 20 games remaining, begging for the young guys to get a chance. That's where we are again. Yeah. And another, and I don't understand what the hell is going on with Cam Reddish. Um, I, I just, I don't get why he, they, they didn't start playing him right away. Um, I, I just don't get the thinking behind that. You That's still be playing now, but cause that like Tibbs is basically now, going to have to do whatever they ask at this point because he knows he's gone. Unless he's going to say, I'm gone anyway. I'm going out my own way. <laughs> like He might go rogue like that. You never know. Well, that's the thing. That's, that's what's going to make these next this next month, two months, really, really interesting. If we do see things that you said, you've heard him speak different language. He's, he's talking about analytics. He's talking about the numbers. That's the front office. And yeah. maybe that's t- saying, okay, you know what? I've been too stubborn. And, and instead of playing Julius 38, 40 minutes a night and playing Fournier 34 minutes and, and not giving guys off the bench a chance and being stubborn with the rotations, okay, I want to coach this team. I think there is success that we can have in the future. I think they're one, we're one big piece away from being an NBA Finals caliber team. Okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, t- to talk it out and, and to kind of change and to hopefully kind of evolve here as the head coach. Right. Like I and, tried my way. Now I'll try yours. And maybe that does get him his job back next year because, I mean, I don't know about you, Pete. You know, I know we, um, you know, I know it hasn't, again, it hasn't gone well. It's gone horribly. And I know, and, and I, again, I said it before, Tibbs has not been perfect and he's made a lot of mistakes and all the things we like to criticize. And I was criticizing him last year when they were going on that unbelievable run. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, why isn't Quickly playing more? Why isn't Obi Toppin playing more? And I did it. I literally did a podcast with Sal and he goes, well, who knows more? You were Tibbs. And I started laughing Hey. <laughs> but now everybody's smarter than Tibbs, right? Because now everybody's right. been questioning him now that, it, you know, the Knicks are, when the Knicks are 44 and 30 or whatever the hell the record was in a shortened season, um, you know, nobody's going to question him. But now when they're 25 and 34, everybody's going to question him. And everybody's a, an NBA head coach now. So I just think that if Tibbs gets fired, like who's who's the head coach that comes in here? And I know there's several candidates. There's coaches that – Somebody says Mark Jackson to me. I'm just, I just lose it, bro. I lose it. I don't even know what to tell people who think that Mark Jackson should be the coach of their franchise anymore. Like the dude, hasn't coached, he hasn't coached in like eight years. Like, what are we talking about here? I had a Nets fan in my life who wants Steve Nash fired so bad. We're going to segue to the Nets down in a second. So there's a nice little way to get there. He wants Steve Nash fired so bad. And I'm like, who's going to replace him? I'm like, I'm not saying Steve Nash is doing great. Who are you replacing Steve Nash with in his second year? after he dealt with what he's dealt with and all the injuries, that's going to do better. 
Who's and he says Mark Jackson. I go, oh my god, what are you talking about? I like shit. I want to grab his face and shake him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Wait, let's wrap. Let's put a bow though in the in the next thing, um, real quick, so we can we can move on from this conversation. I think now talking about this, talking it out with you, I think there's a better chance than I originally expected for Tibbs to stay as the coach, but I think you and I are strongly in the minority here. I think Knicks fans in general right now want him out. They're they're done. They want to be on to the next one for better or worse. They're out. And Knicks fans, I hate to say this, are not always right. I know people like to say like New York fans, smartest basketball fans. In the I don't buy it all the time. Most of the time I don't. And this is one of the situations where maybe now I'm leaning the other way. Like maybe Tibbs does deserve one more year. This roster probably won't overhaul to become a championship contender by next year. So what are we rushing for, right? What are we rushing to take away continuity? Let's see what happens, see how we can get better. But Knicks fans in general, I think they're sitting here saying, you two are, are ridiculous. Tibbs needs to be gone yesterday, and that's it. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what people are saying. I just say this too, like, there's, again, I think with the injuries to Rose, the injuries to RJ, and how the front office either set him up for failure or just had a dog shit off season in retrospect. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's enough for Tibbs to lose his job. I don't think it's fair for Tibbs to lose his job. Again, you mentioned it at the end of the day, it, whether it's fair or not, it doesn't matter. Whatever Leon and, and worldwide West want, that's, that's what's going to be the decision. Um, and will Tibbs and Leon being close uh, factor into that? Will that help him keep his job? Who knows? But at the end of the day, like, you know, again, was anybody saying, oh, Taylor Jenkins is going to be the next greatest head coach in the NBA when he took over at Memphis? No, they got John Morant. The guy's a fucking MVP candidate, and that's right. why Memphis is so damn good, and Taylor Jenkins looks like a great head coach. You take John Morant off the Memphis Grizzlies, is Taylor Jenkins winning them as a head coach? Is he winning, helping them win 50 games? If I'm not mistaken, they did not miss a beat when John Morant missed 10 games this year. They did it. They, they did, did it. But at the same actually, time, Anthony Melton and Bain and, and everybody yeah, else were playing after God's support. They have a strong team. And I, I said this last year on a podcast. I was like, if Taylor Jenkins was in New York right now, people would be going crazy. Like if he was the coach of the Knicks and they were doing what the Grizzlies are doing, people would lose their shit. They really would. Um, wait, last thing on the Knicks before we move on, because we really went way too long here already. Um, did you see the video at the Corday concert of Knicks fans in New York City chanting, fuck Trey Young? I got to say, I got to sound off on this for real quick. If, I think if I'm lockstep with you. So I'm going to tee you up here. I just think it's yeah. totally embarrassing and pathetic embarrassing and pathetic what are you doing at a corday concert who's a fantastic artist who i absolutely love who's not even a new york guy my guy is like not i think he's born uh in the midwest he grew up in maryland he's not a new yorker what are we what are we doing why are we chanting fuck trey young at a corday concert he's not even an atlanta guy corday comes out sipping his drink like leave me out of this i don't know what you guys are talking about right now but like, leave me out of this. I don't want none of this. For one second, I saw that and was like, haha, Knicks fans are funny. Like they just chant this. And then I was like, no, pathetic. I'm embarrassed to be a part of that because one guy who absolutely owned our team, he demolished our franchise in a freaking one playoff series. That was the first round. Trey Young would be the best Knicks player, next best Knicks point guard, perhaps in the history outside Walt Clyde Frazier. And he beat us once, owned us in our own home. And we say fuck Trey Young at a Corday concert. It's pathetic, Pat. It really and is. 
And those might be the same Knicks fans that want Tibbs fired. So let's consider that when we talk about which population of the fan base wants Tibbs to, to lose his job because they see the team sputter and, and think, oh, fire the coach. Oh, fire Tibbs. And, and don't watch the games. And oh. let's also consider the fact that – I saw this on Twitter. There should be a university course in the, in the psychology department taught – upon the devastating toll and the devastating effects that Trey Young has had on the city of New York. Couldn't agree more. It's, 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 it's brutal. It's brutal. How does that man? He, he did what Reggie Miller did over the course of like a decade in one playoff series. Yes. And owned us. Like, I can't stress it enough. He crushed the Knicks. He did anything he wanted. Anything he wanted. If I wasn't a Knicks fan, I would have been in awe saying, Trey Young, you are the best. Like, you're amazing. But I was hurt because I was rooting for the Knicks, right? And I was like, damn, bro, that guy crushed us. He, I single, wasn't, he oh. single-handedly set the franchise back three years. <laughs> he single-handedly got Tibbs, getting Tibbs fired. He, he broke Julius Randle. Like, he he just did it all by himself in one series. And he, and he destroyed the, the psychology and the psyche and the brains of, of many Knicks fans, millions of Knicks fans, of Knicks fans everywhere. The bing bong saved us for like two weeks. And then we were, now we're back to misery. Unbelievable. Let's move on, Pat. We need to get off this topic of conversation. And let's talk about something more exciting, but perhaps frustrating just the same. And we'll, we'll, we'll put this into one topic here to make it a little bit shorter. New look nets, new look Sixers, a lot of things are happening. James Harden will be back uh, more or sooner, I should say, than Durant and Simmons together for Brooklyn. But we got two new teams here, two teams that do have legitimate title chances if they get right and they get well. So let me ask you, and you can start with whoever you want based off this question. Do you have a winner of this trade? Like, do you want to wait and see? Like, I, I don't know. It's too late to now just break down the whole trade. But basically, let me ask you this. Ideal world, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving are playing. Ideal world, Joel Embiid, uh, Seth, I'm sorry, Seth Curry's on the Brooklyn Nets now. Uh, Seth Curry, geez, Joel Embiid and James Harden are playing as well in Philly. Who do you like more? Who got better or who now is on a higher mark of the Eastern Conference? Uh, again, we're, we're going to see how this plays out. And ultimately, whichever, if these two teams meet in the postseason, oh my God, it'll be 30 for 30 worthy, hopefully. Um, and the winner of that series, obviously everyone's going to proclaim won the trade um, or whatever team goes further in the postseason. But just given face value, and because we haven't seen, still haven't seen Simmons play, uh, we still haven't seen Harden play, I think both teams got better. And I think we've, we've talked about this before. Um, I think it was a really, really good trade for both sides. I'd say the Nets maybe slightly came out on top on better, you know, better. Um, because you also got the addition of Seth Curry and you got Drummond, who's a rebounding machine and has killed the Nets so many times in the past. And then you also get one of the best defenders in the entire NBA and Ben Simmons. But I think, Pete, you will agree with me, a locked-in, at the top of his game, James Harden, makes those three pieces look like chump change. And I think you can agree with me, if Harden and Embiid can find a good one-two punch relationship and chemistry, the Philadelphia 76ers are going to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're that good. I, I, again, people love to shit on James Harden, and trust me, I do too, because he's a, he's, a, he's a bitch and he's a baby with the way he has 
single-handedly walked himself out of Houston and then walked himself out of Brooklyn. Say mm-hmm. what you will about Kyrie's vaccination and uh, James Harden being scapegoated for the Nets' terrible run when when Durant went down because it was basically him that had a shoulder of the load and he was getting shit on when Kyrie's only playing half the games. All fair and all good. But and again, it's and it's all fair to clown clown on James Harden for everything he's done and his postseason failures. And I've said before on this very podcast when the Nets' big three was still intact, James Harden is a lifetime loser. And will yes. never win an NBA title in his life. That being said, with the addition of right now the MVP front runner and some really good surrounding pieces, who knows? Maybe it'll be a three-one lead that Doc Rivers blows again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll be Tobias Harris going for twenty-five in Game One and then nine points in Game Seven. We uh, don't know. But at the end of the day, it's too real. I think the immediate returns and on face value, the Nets came out slightly better because, again, you get a great three-point shooter, you get a rebounding machine, and you get an elite defender. You get basically three different facets all to make your team better. But at the end of the day, Pete, Harden playing at the top of his game, which we know is still true, we know is still possible. I'm not saying – I don't think anybody's going to say that James Harden's career is now on a downturn. Harden and Embiid, that one-two punch, along with Tobias Harris – and all the other pieces and Thibault and the pieces that the Sixers have, they've got more potential to go further. In my man's sleep, my boy was sleeping through the season, right? He was overweight. He didn't care. He wanted out 22, 8, and 10. And guess what? Fourth in the league in free throw attempts, Pat. In his sleep, and, and I, I have been the biggest James Harden defender that anyone who listens to this show probably knows over the past five years, maybe longer than that. It was hard to defend him this year. It was pretty hard to come on any podcast or go on Twitter and start being like, nah, like James Harden is actually doing good and this and that. Like it was hard to do that because it wasn't really true, but in his sleep with all the bad that was going on, 22, eight and 10. And when they had, like a pretty good run to start the season when James Harden and Kevin Durant were still playing. Like Kevin Durant might've been carrying the load. James Harden was still playing pretty good and they were winning games. And I think even though it was talked about a lot, it wasn't talked about enough that they played 16 games together and they were 13 and three in those 16 games with the big three with Harden, uh, Durant and Kyrie Irving. So the potential was never reached, but the potential was there. And that team was winning a championship if they stayed healthy. And championships don't operate in the world of ifs, so they didn't, and they fell apart, and that sucks. However, like you mentioned, a locked-in James Harden can do some things. And you're going to get James Harden on his best behavior at minimum for the rest of this season, at minimum. But I put the trust in Daryl Morey that they have a good relationship and that James Harden wanted to be there, so he says, that you get a year and a half at least of James Harden on his best behavior. What that means in the playoffs, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that this is going to segue into our MVP race. I know that this guy, James Harden, is going to come in and look great for Philly over the next couple weeks, and I am loving, Pat. I'm loving so much that Philly fans across New Jersey and Pennsylvania alike are now coming to the defenses of James Harden and hyping up James Harden after he's been a guy that they hated so bad for the past year and a half and probably before that, too. Right, because he was getting the MVP love, but Joel Embiid, who played 22 games, probably should have got the MVP or whatever the hell Philly fans say all the time. Like, 
<laughs> like <laughs> now they sit out here and they go on Twitter and they're like, you know, James Harden, quite the shooter. Love his step back. I don't think he pounds the ball into the ground way too much at all. I love him and I am enjoying it. And now all these people who hated James Harden for the past couple of years are going to see him go off again. And we're going to be reminded that he's still a freaking animal. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty damn excited to watch Philly. I can't lie. Bro, James Harden's ISO isn't killing the team's offensive flow. Are you kidding me? It's just another weapon. It's another play to go to. <laughs> if you think about it, him and Joel Embiid are really the two best isolation players. So, like, having two and not just one, like, it might just balance out in the playoffs. <laughs> I just I mean, love it. And that's like, you see the hypocrisy of fans in general. How many Nets fans are defending Ben Simmons vehemently when we all, as a collective fan base of basketball, destroyed oh, this guy just yeah. a half a year ago? And yeah. how many people that have, and all, like you said, how many times have Philly fans shit on James Harden and now they're rushing, sprinting, swarming to his defense? <laughs> they can't do it fast enough. All the Ben Simmons front, too. It's funny that these two guys are traded together because I've been like the biggest Harden and Ben Simmons fan in their like entire careers, basically. I've been a huge Ben Simmons guy. And I always wanted to remind people during this whole crap with him over the past year and a half, well, not year, past year, I guess now. He's freaking awesome, bro. He's so good. Like, we're not talking about, like, Tony Allen's level of offense. Like, even with Ben Simmons' horrendous ability to not shoot, or his inability to shoot, I should say, he's still an incredibly effective offensive player, and his defense is like Tony Allen. Like, he's that dude. He's an all-NBA level player, right? He's a three-time All-Star who's 25 years old. Like, let's not act like this guy can't play. He can't affect the team. Let's look at the standings straight up right now. Where were the Sixers at last year, Pat? Fourth. Squarely in first. Oh, yeah, you're right. They were squarely in first place. So your boy Ben Simmons, who can't play, clearly helped y'all because you'll basically have the same exact team just without Ben Simmons, and you're sitting in fourth place with Joel Embiid literally standing on his head every single night. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing – sorry. That's it. Yeah, I was just saying, I think the biggest thing, too, is his his transition play, offense and defense. The fact that he can get out and get the Nets fast break points, which they struggled to do so, and we saw them with the hard in isolation and the half-court sets and not being able to move fast unless they had some of their guys off the bench like Kessler Edwards, like Killer Cam Thomas, and then also on transition D. How brutal, how fucking brutal have the Nets been on defense in transition and not being able to stop the dribble-drive penetration against good-guarded teams and and fast break opportunities. Simmons obviously plugs that hole. And yeah, he's a fantastic player when you take him for face value. But again, we know that the lights shine brightest, the Twitter fingers work fastest in the in the postseason, and that's where he's had his biggest struggles. And one moment under the bucket with Trey Young has sort of kind of defined the last eight months of this guy's career. Unfair or fair as it is, take it for what you will. But yeah, I mean, let's let's not pretend that Ben Simmons isn't an all-star caliber player. Now, let me just show you this real quick, Pat. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it along, but I'll explain it. How hilarious is this? This is the Brooklyn Nets homepage on ESPN for their stats. And because of how many games Kevin Durant has played, he does not qualify for team leaders. James Harden is currently still the team leader in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks for the Brooklyn Nets. All <laughs> and blocks major categories is just James Harden leading the team. And that's incredible. And that goes back to my point about the Steve Nash thing as well, too. Like people who are mad at Steve Nash as Nets fans, there's plenty of people out there I see on Twitter and talk to. 
what do you want this man to do? Kevin Durant's played 36 games. Kyrie Irving has played 14 games. LaMarcus Aldridge was coming back. He's not quite who he was three years ago. Nick Claxton's been hurt. Joe Harris has missed almost the entire season. Blake Griffin's not even what he was last year, let alone three years ago. Like, what is Steve Nash supposed to do? Like, what did you expect when Patty Mills is the second best player on the team on a nightly basis for like three or three to six weeks of the season? What are we doing? And now, now you bring in real depth. You you include Cam Thomas in the mix. You have Patty Mills still. Now you get Goran Dragic in the buyout market. You get Seth Curry. You have Ben Simmons, the elite defender that he is. The Nets are looking freaking stacked now, Pat. Like if Kevin Durant comes back healthy, I'm freaking scared again of the Brooklyn Nets if I'm an opponent. I'm scared. I'm always scared of Kevin Durant. Now I'm scared again, even more so with Ben Simmons playing defense. Kyrie perhaps now getting the mandate lifted and this depth looking real again. Yeah, Eric Adams ultimately might be the Nets MVP if he <laughs> if he finally lifts this mandate, which he's he's honestly he's like started to double back, you know, not double down. He's started to revert back to oh maybe I maybe I did make a mistake and I think as he we didn't make, he didn't make the rule, he wasn't the mayor when the rule. That's was true. Made. Well, yeah, yeah, but he had the opportunity to lift it. And he didn't. Correct. Which again, that was what two months ago, where whenever he finally took office and the numbers for COVID were still pretty damn high back in December and January. Once we hit March and April, like when the weather gets warm, that's like the downturn. That's uh, the down the down season. That's COVID's off season, if you will. Um, that mandate probably is going to get lifted, and yeah. Kyrie's probably going to be able to play every single game. And I saw on Twitter too, if James Harden just waited a couple more damn weeks, <laughs> but no, that was never going to happen. He had, he had he a was, foot out the door, you know what I mean? So it is yeah. what it is. I think the Sixers have a, a higher ceiling now because they had a zero in Ben Simmons who wasn't playing. And now they have an MVP who clearly can still put up numbers. And maybe with Joel Embiid being a, the closer on the team, which Kevin Durant was going to act as with uh, the James Harden on the Nets, if Embiid can be that closer, then James Harden doesn't have to worry about choking it too bad, right? So both of these teams can really make noise, and we'll talk more about contenders in a minute. we got to move on. we got to talk about some other stuff. Just, just, just really quickly here, 30 seconds too, just to tie in the, the Nash thing that you were talking about with some people saying, oh, Nash should get fired. He's basically the exact opposite of Tibbs. You're talking about Tibbs, who's hands-on, has so much of a, of a role in how the team plays and how the team runs offensively and defensively, where Steve Nash is almost he's closer to a baseball manager than he is a basketball coach, where it's, all right, just keep everything together, keep everything glued the players, the players will, will do what they know how to do. You know, Kyrie saying, oh, well, some nights I'll be the coach and whatnot. Like Steve Nash isn't telling these guys, other than maybe running a a, a set out of a timeout, which I've seen the Nets come out of timeouts and, and basically not change anything other than hope to have more energy and, and be better on defense and not dragging their goddamn feet around. Like you have Knicks fans calling for Tibbs to get fired. You have some Nets fans like very few probably Nets fans saying Steve Nash should get fired. You have two totally different coaches, and both of these teams have been hit by injuries this year. So, I, you know, again, to finish off the Knicks from back before, I don't know what what kind of coach you'd want then. Would you want a type of, would you want a Steve Nash type of coach? You don't have the talent to, to be, to have that kind of coach. And if right. you're the Nets, do you want a Tibbs kind of coach where then, you know, star players like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, Dare I throw Ben Simmons into that conversation? Might get turned off by a coach who was too hard on them. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. It's and it's right in New York, right in our own backyard. You know, the pick your poison. You know, you you can't have it both ways. 
So you, you kind of have to pick your poison in that regard. And yeah, I'm sure you could make an argument. Certain coaches find the balance, but you look at Frank Vogel, a guy who can actually coach clearly has a track record of coaching well on many different occasions, different teams, different conferences. Doesn't matter. My guy's getting on the hot seat for some reason with that roster with Russell Westbrook. Like it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. We'll get to the Lakers in a little bit. Let's move on though. Talk quickly about MVP. Let's try to do this in like five minutes here because we already going a little long and we have a lot more NBA stuff to get to. So right now the MVP race is uh, Joel Embiid plus 130, Nikola Jokic plus 270, Giannis Antetokounmpo plus 400, and then Steph and uh, John Morant right at that plus 1,000, plus 1,100 range. You mentioned DeMar DeRozan as well. I didn't write down his uh, his odds. I can pull them up. I see him. I see him on this uh, this website covers.com, which released three hours ago. Updated odds. He's got he's plus two thousand. Yeah, I have him at plus twenty two hundred, and that's right behind Devin Booker at plus eighteen hundred. So that's blasphemy to you. So give me your MVP, you know, discussion take, if you will, and then uh, you know who you're betting on. Maybe not. I don't know. Give it to me all. Give it to me all. Who you think's gonna win? Who you'd put your money on? What do you think of the discussion in general? Let me hear it all. Yeah, I'll keep it quick. Um, I think I think DeMar is getting totally disrespected for what he's done this year. 29, almost 29 points per game. He's having one of the best shooting seasons in the last 20 years. He is an absolute sniper from mid-range. He only hits, he hits maybe a three-pointer a game. So he's been the best inside scorer. That's not a center. I think that the NBA has seen in a couple of years, probably since one of the, one of the LeBron years when he was with Miami. Um, I'm sure you could probably look up stats to, to support that. I think the numbers say it themselves. He's shooting. He's shooting. What is he shooting from the field right now? So he's got fifty-two uh, percent from the field overall. He's thirty-four percent from three, which is not bad for him on just one point eight attempts. So he doesn't even hit one three per game. Yeah, but, which uh, is which is absurd. One, a guy that's that's shooting fifty-two percent. He's taking twenty to twenty-five shots a night. His effective field goal percentage is on par. It's actually just .03 above Joel Embiid at five thirty-three. And he's doing that in a season where they've missed Caruso for several weeks. They've missed Lonzo Ball for several weeks. They've missed Zach Levine for several weeks. It's basically been DeMar DeRozan and fucking Nick Vucevic. And Io <laughs> Desomu, don't, 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 don't count on my boy Io because he has been phenomenal for them. Love but we, we look at what, you know, all those guys that have been hurt, like their third, fourth, fifth, sixth best players. The Bulls are tied for first in the East with Miami. They are tied for first in the East with Miami, and they've missed Lonzo, Caruso, and Levine all for several games each. And DeMar's just steadily going about his business 35 a night, 38 a night, 40 a night, 42 a night. I mean, he's breaking Wilt Chamberlain records out here for some of the numbers he's putting up. Mm -hmm. So to have him that far down the list is absurd to me. I'm not saying he should be an NBA, NBA MVP favorite, but to have him at plus 2,200 odds is Absolutely ridiculous. Now, who I'm going to put? So I would throw. He's not going to win it, but I mean, I would throw. That's something I'd maybe put ten dollars on, right? Just in case he does continue to score forty a night, and the Bulls, and yeah, the Bulls lock up a top uh, top three seed. You can say, "Ha, see, I called that one. I called that miracle." But what I'm putting my money on, and again, I just think when we hear like three, four, five big media heads say who they have as MVP. Everybody then just swarms and uh, becomes sheep. Um, I think that's what's happening with Joel Embiid. And I think Nikola Jokic is going to win the MVP this year. I think he should win the MVP. 
I think the numbers that he has put up, and again, you look at a guy that has, and, and I know Joel hasn't had Ben Simmons. Um, and I know that, you know, Tobias Harris is a solid number two and Furkan Korkmaz hasn't shot that well this year and they don't have a lot of scores. And Joel, you could say is single-handedly keeping them um, inside the top four in the East and the numbers he's putting up are absurd. But you look at Jokic doing all of this without Jamal Murray, without Michael Porter, and a Nuggets team that I think he is single-handedly has at 33 and 25 in the West. And again, just the numbers are pure insanity. The numbers he's putting up this year are pure insanity. 26 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists, 57% from the field. We've seen him drop triple doubles like they're going out of style. Like, well, Russell Westbrook was was stat padding triple doubles. Nikola Jokic is putting up legit triple doubles because he's running the offense. He's getting inside. He's scoring at will. He's grabbing 14 rebounds a night like he's Andre Drummond. And he's also running the offense and dishing out eight assists. And he's setting up a team that is missing two of their best four players and keeping them at eight games above 500 and, and is a legit threat in the West, in my opinion. So I get the Embiid argument. Trust me, he's the MVP frontrunner. But I just think Jokic at, what, plus 275 odds right now? That's yeah, that's ridiculous to me as well. I think that should be much closer than it is. I, uh, I'm with you, and I think what I want to say first and foremost is anybody who tells you it's anybody and it's not close is wrong. That's the person who you don't need to listen to, right? If anybody says, oh, it's Embiid and it's not close, wrong. It's Jokic and it's not close, wrong. It's Giannis and it, wrong. It is close. It is very, very close. With all the things you just said, I don't want to I don't want to repeat any uh, – anything too much. The guys out for Philly, the guys out for Denver, you can argue what's more important, Ben Simmons versus Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, whatever. They're two games apart in the standings. So don't tell me that the Sixers standings makes a difference when the Nuggets standings don't. What you're telling me when you say Embiid is the guy and it's not close is that you don't watch the Nuggets and that's okay. I don't expect everyone to be a freak like me and watch the Nuggets play the Kings on a Tuesday night. I, that's something I do. I have to deal with that on my own, right? But like, <laughs> we'll, we'll just not acknowledge the guy putting up historic numbers following a historic season. He's the reigning MVP. He has the record right now. He's in line to have the highest PER of all time. Of all time, Pat. That's ridiculous. And, and, it's, and I'm not, I don't even love PER that much, but like when you can break a record, let's let's talk about it here. You talk about win shares, which is a number I look at more from basketball reference. Jokic is uh, ahead above everybody else. He's the only but, uh, person above 10 win shares this year. He's at 10.6. Following him is Giannis 9.8, Chris Paul 8.7, Joel Embiid 8.3. That's a, quite a big drop-off. Like What Jokic is doing is silly. The whole thing runs through him. And if you don't at least put them even right now, I can't really talk to you. And that doesn't even bring in the Giannis factor where this dude's insane as well, right? So I'm 100% with you. And here's now my take on what's going to happen, Pat. And I think you might like this take. We just talked about this guy named James Harden with a big beard. He's going to show up in Philly and start dropping 30 points a night, perhaps 10 assists. In his sleep, he puts up 22, 8, and 10. That might hurt Joel Embiid's case a little bit when Jokic continues to play without not two of his best four players, Pat, without his two best players. 
in in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Maybe you could argue Will Barton on a good night is better than one of those dudes. Mm-mm. It's Murray, Porter, and Jokic. That's their big three. They're gone. They're not here. Jokic is going to keep doing silly stuff, and Bede's going to do silly stuff next to another guy doing silly stuff, and that bolsters up the Jokic stock here, and there's just enough push from like the nerd community and the other people in the NBA media world who aren't the the Kellermans and Stephen A's and the Nick Wrights of the world who are letting everyone know that Jokic is not joking. So I'm I'm here on the Jokic train. I'm putting my money on the plus 270. I love the DeMar story. Been on DeMar for a little bit now. Since he really joined the Spurs, I've been all over his growth as a player and his as a playmaker. John Morant's great. He's not there yet. Steph fell off a bit. It's the big three this year, Embiid, Joker, and Giannis. And I think the Harden thing could help seal it for the Joker. Yeah. And, you know, you could also, you know, you look in, and I'm, I was looking today, Michael Porter and Jamal Murray both might be back before the regular season ends. But it's not going to be, it's not going to be playing enough games to. Yeah. Or it's not going to be James Harden level. Yeah, exactly. And it's not going to be enough to take away the numbers that Jokic has been putting up. And I hate that that. You know, I mean, it's worth the argument, obviously, because you see how valuable somebody is when other pieces are missing, right? Like, who knows? Like, we we, we don't really get a true sense of just how damn good Devin Booker is because CP3 has been phenomenal. Now we are. Now we're going to see just really how real Devin Booker is. Now that CP3 is probably going to miss the rest of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And if DeAndre Ayton's hurt or if, you know, some of the other, if Jay Crowder's hurt, like, we're going to have to see then Devin Booker step up his defense as well. And we're going to see just what type of all-around MVP type player he is. But the fact that we've been able to see that this year from Jokic, we've been able to see that from Embiid shows you just how damn good these guys are when they still have their teams inside the top five, top four of the standings in their respective conferences without their other best players. I have nothing else to add. That was perfect. That was perfect. And I can't wait. This is perfect timing for the world of sports. Football was so awesome this year and we rode that wave so hard. And then between like conference final week and then Super Bowl and now able to start getting the NBA Pistons turning again. I ain't talk about Detroit. And now I'm 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 all the way back, baby. I'm I, like I said, I'm watching Nuggets Kings on a Wednesday and I'm I'm here for it. Like that's where <laughs> that's where I'm I'm back, baby. I'm so back. Let's do some rapid fire though, Pat. Um, we're gonna expand more on some of these topics, but we're already at an hour. So let's just rapid fire my final like four or five questions for you here. And uh, we'll try to keep this one moving quick. So first rapid fire question for you. Oh, wait, hold on. Are we even, can we, let's not even talk about the Lakers. Is that fine? Can I, can I, can I veto my own topic list? And can we not even talk about the Lakers? I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. If you are. Yeah. Let's save that for like another day where, cause everybody talks about them all the time, bro. Oh my God. What are you going to do? Russ Westbrook is not, he's actually due for a run. I'll say that. Can that be my rapid fire take? Yes. Do for like a two week stretch of like, no, look, he actually does help. And then he'll blow it again. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you my Lakers take here in 10 seconds. One, Anthony Davis is a glass box. As much <laughs> as people like to tell you, he's not, he is constantly hurt. Um, yep. And this year showing it and he's only getting older. Russell Westbrook still sucks. And even if he does, if he, even if he is due for a run, he still stinks. And LeBron is leaving most likely uh, at the end of next year if not okay. absolutely leaving at the end of 2024 when Bronny gets drafted and he's probably going to go back to Cleveland. So the Lakers, the Lakers have next season to 
literally just throw every ounce and every dollar that they have and Rob Polanka can try to pull off the greatest offseason in free agency. And if they win the t- title next year, that's going to be the last one they win probably for a decade. So next year, is it's all or nothing for the Lakers. It's not happening this year. And once LeBron leaves, it, it, they're probably going to go back to irrelevancy. Yep. Facts. Big facts. Because Anthony Davis ain't carrying nothing. Uh, another Wait, one more quick James Harden note. Some people have been throwing out the fact that he's like an injury-prone guy. I don't know if I can sign off on that. Like he really only has been hurt once like ever in his career is last year. So maybe he's injury prone lately, but whatever. I, I digress. Let's move on. Rapid fire. Who is the bigger finals contender, Pat? The Bulls, the Grizzlies, or the Cavs? If the Bulls. Any. Okay. The Bulls. I've loved the Bulls. I uh, I said back when uh, on a CBS sports radio show I hosted back in December, December 8th. Because I was literally looking the other day, I was looking for a video that I posted saying that the Bulls should not be slept on, and that if they make the Eastern Conference Finals, you heard it here first. I still think they have a shot to make the Eastern Conference Finals. The Eastern Conference playoffs, honestly, Pete, I I really hope it delivers because it has the potential to be one of the best in the last since before LeBron got to Cleveland or and and Miami. It has that much potential where we could see Miami, we could see Philly, we could see Brooklyn, we could see Milwaukee, and we could see Chicago. Yeah, and, and hell, who, you want to throw Cleveland in there as well? You want to throw Cleveland? I I don't think ultimately Cleveland has what it takes in the best of seven. I I'd probably have them as like the sixth best team in the East. But the way they've played, shout out to them. Shout out to their front office for getting Karras and Jared Allen and the way he's played and Mobley. That's the rookie of the year and Darius Garland. Boom, great team. I think Chicago is the biggest threat out of those teams because the tear they went on earlier in the year when they were healthy and, uh, you know, Caruso's not missing the rest of the year. Lonzo's not missing the rest of the year. So they will be back. You hope that they can get enough games under their belt by the time mid-April rolls around. But the fact that you can roll out a lineup of DeMar, Levine, Lonzo, Caruso coming off the bench, Vucevic, Io, that team is so goddamn dangerous. Yeah, they're so damn dangerous, and they've got so many different ways they can hurt you. And they've got three guys, you know, Vucevic. Again, he's another guy that gets slept on. Like he can, he he goes for twenty five and twelve, like every other game. The fact that he can hurt you down low, and he's a stretch five, and you've got Demar the assassin, and you got Levine that can dunk all over you, and on the night where he's shooting it well, can hit five threes. Shoots it well all the time, and they and they're so good defensively too. And it's a shame. It's a shame that they that Caruso's been hurt, and you know I, I just I just love the way that Chicago's come together, and I think that water on you real quick. I'll go ahead, finish, finish. I was just saying, I think Billy Donovan's a great coach too. So I, yeah. you know, I, I love Chicago. Let me pour some cold water on you real quick. What would suck is if the Bulls get the second seed and end up having to play the Nets in the first round. <laughs> that would be rough. All you get the second seed, you have this amazing season. You get into the first round, you see Kevin Durant. God damn, this is bullshit. That, that would be brutal. And for the Cavs too, who I almost didn't want to put in this in this question, but I threw them in there as like a little bit of a you know slap on the ass. They might get the Bucks in the first round. So after these fantastic seasons, you might end up with the Juggernauts, who we thought were going to be one too. Uh, for the Grizzly front, real quick, I'm going to throw them in. I'm going to say the Grizzlies have the best chance to make the finals here, and the reason is Chris Paul's injury and Draymond Green's injury. Who's better than the Memphis Grizzlies? If Chris Paul and Draymond are out, I don't see a team in the West that scares me as much as John Morant might scare me. So I'm giving them the nod, but let's move on. Next question. 
NBA Rookie of the Year. First off, can you believe that Evan Mobley is minus 750 and that the next closest guy is plus 800? Do, do you see this race as being so wide, or do you think the Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy crew can make a run at Mobley's title? I think if Shy if if Shy Gilgis Alexander was going to miss the rest of the year, you can make an argument that Giddy has a chance. I think he's fantastic, and it sucks that you know he's their number two guy behind Shy, um, and that if he was a starting point guard on some of the other really bad teams in the NBA, that he's his numbers that he'd be putting up probably would be absurd. Um, you know, we saw what he what he did again in the Garden against the Knicks. You know, he, then I bet him to get a triple double the next the next game against the Spurs, and he did it again. Um, his length, you know, six foot eight, the way that he can shoot and and basically do it all, uh, he's going to be an all star. He's going to be an all star very soon. Um, love, love and, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I am surprised that Mobley's minus seven fifty because that's basically like runaway train front runners that, that he's like they're basically saying he's already won the award, which right. he he probably has, um, but I don't think it's been that much of a disparity. You know, I made I made a tweet that you kind of pushed back on a couple of weeks ago when it was Cade Cunningham versus uh, it was Detroit against Houston, and they put that as the national game on MB on, on ESPN. I was like, "What the hell are we doing here?" And you go, "Hey, Cade Cunningham, he's legit, and he and he is." But I just don't, you know, the numbers don't support it. Like 15, 16, five and five, that's eh, really good numbers for an NBA rookie. But the best numbers, that, the best numbers for a rookie. Yeah, counting, but, counting stats. But on a team as so that's so bad as Detroit is, especially since Jeremy Grant's missed a large part of this season, like I think he'd probably have to be pushing closer to like 18 points a game in order to win it. That being said, he's had a great rookie year. Uh, Scotty Barnes has been phenomenal to watch in Toronto. Um, but yeah, I just I think it's I think Mobley's going to end up winning it because of the presence that he's offered down low. And even on nights where Jared Allen's not putting up big numbers, Evan Mobley's right there to pick it up. Yeah. I think I think Mobley deserves the the front runner here. I thought it would be a little bit tighter. Um, I I do think the other guys are really good. Barnes, I love Scotty Barnes. He's fallen off a little bit, but he's on a solid team too, right? And that might bump him a little bit. You're right, Cade, Franz Wagner, Josh Giddy. They're on the bottom of the barrel teams. On good teams, they don't get the shots that they get. Um, and honestly, I think Barnes is the guy who's also plus eight hundred with Cade, who might have the best chance to to catch Mobley. Because if he starts just doing 16, 8, and 8 type stuff, like really getting up his assist and playmaking, which is probably unlikely, you know, but he has the he has the ability. He might be able to catch it, but uh, we shall see. All right, next question, rapid fire. Who's the best mid-tier team to watch? And I'll throw the Raptors in that conversation. So like the Raptors, the Nuggets, Timberwolves, anyone in that ilk, you can even throw the Mavericks in there, who's not, you know, top three seed in the conference. Maybe they're fighting for their their sixth seed or they're in the play and whatever it may be. Is there a team that just jumps out to you that like maybe, you know, you've been enjoying throwing some wagers on this year or when you catch them on a national TV or a league pass game that that you kind of want to keep an eye on? Is there one of those teams in the middle tier that jumps out to you? I used up a lot of my my MVP argument with Jokic on describing why he's made the Nuggets so good. And, uh, but so so for this one, and because they have been red hot, and yes, I've been winning a lot of wagers on them and watching Gary Trent, uh, you know, go off for a large portion of that winning streak, and also FVV, my boy Freddie Van Vliet. It's got to be the Toronto Raptors. They are awesome to watch, man, and they're a team that plays really good defense. Um, you know, kind of under the radar defense where they really close out a lot of shots on the perimeter. Siakam has been an absolute animal down low. Like he's starting to put up like triple number, triple double numbers. 
Uh, I remember the one game against Charlotte, we had 24, 11, and 8. Um, and then you've got guys that can just explode off the floor, like Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes, like OG Ananobi. Uh, they've been really, really fun to watch. And they've gotten lost in the shuffle of the Eastern Conference. You know, they're 32 and 25. And they had some injuries, and they had a really big bout with COVID that they dealt with early on in the season, you know, where at one point they were under 500 uh, just as early as the last month. You know, they were 22 and 22. Since then, they've gone 10 and 3 going into the break. So I hope they don't cool off. I hope they continue to stay hot because then that makes the Eastern Conference playoff discussion even that much more serious and that much more fun and that much more crowded. And I think that's a really good team. So I think they've been really fun to watch. They're hard to play, and they play like eight guys. They're like kind of low-key Tibbs, Jace. Like they're playing eight guys like so many minutes. But Pascal's been awesome. He's kind of resurging back to the form we thought he'd take. His last 10, he's averaging 25, 9.5, and and 5. Killer numbers. Killer numbers. He's 21, 9, and 5 on the season. Up in that to 25 with keeping those same assist numbers is really, really special. Uh, Good for him. I'm going to go with the Timberwolves. Anthony Edwards is so much freaking fun to watch. And I'll tell you, the low-key guys were fun to watch on the Timberwolves, Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt. Those guys fly around the, the court. Like, it's insane. They're jumping in for rebounds and putbacks. They're blocking shots. They're playing insane defense. They're super fun. And then you got to give it to Cat. I've, I've always loved watching Cat play offense. Didn't always love watching Cat teams lose games. But now that this team is kind of getting put together and Ann Edwards is maybe the uh, energetic leader of the team, you got to check out a T. If you guys have not watched a T Wolves game this year, I'm telling you, tune in, watch Anthony Edwards just drive through everybody and dunk on their foreheads, and then also hit a nice three. Why Cat becomes the most efficient big man shooter like ever? Like it's insane. I really love watching Timberwolves. They might make the playoffs, which I'd be really happy for them if they do. And I know he's still very inconsistent. Um, he's gotten like much better, uh, yeah. but he's still very inconsistent. But D'Angelo, D'Angelo's been Earl very good from the Nets, man. Prime D'Angelo Russell era was when I was heavily working at the fan, working Nets games. That boy was fun, and he's he's starting to get back there. When you see him make one of the passes, that's the thing for D'Angelo Russell for me. When he was coming in the draft, you saw these slick bounce passes from the lefty at Ohio State. Like, man, this guy's kind of like 6'5". He's got a nice frame. He sees the floor. This is great. And then he became so shot happy. He fell in love with scoring, and he just lost some, some juice there. When you see him make the nice passes and play defense, oh, it's so easy to root for him again. And there's, and there, again, there's times where it's still a learning curve where he's, you know, he's 26. So he's not, you know, he's not that young. He's not a rookie, obviously, anymore. And you think he grew out of that rookie mentality, but he still does get shot happy. And that's where the inconsistency comes in, where one night he'll put up 29, you know, he'll shoot six of 13 from deep. And then the next night, the next game, he'll put up eight points which he's put up single digit scoring efforts in like three out of their last 10 games. So like it happens pretty often. And there, you know, there's like just the last game going into the all-star break. He went two of 11 from the field against Toronto. And it's like, dude, stop fucking shooting. Just stop shooting for the night. D'Angelo Russell Westbrook. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, he's, they're, they're, they're an exciting team, man. There's so much talent. Uh, it's just so fun when like this is the closest I've ever followed the NBA where I'm following the slate every single night, you know, looking oh, for the same game parlays, watching games. You've been so gracious enough to um, hand over your league pass, which I've yet to fully utilize. Now, actually, no, we're allowed two people at once. 
Never mind. We're good. I pay for the extra account. Let's go, baby. Watch that all day. Let's yes, go. sir. But now and now that we get now that we get two a week on TNTs, we get the ESPN Wednesdays and Fridays. We're gonna get the Sunday afternoon games now. Oh, I can't wait. I'm pumped. I'm so pumped. All right, two more. Two more. Is Zion done playing for the New Orleans Pelicans? Is he has he played his last game for the New Orleans Pelicans? I I'd say yes. The only thing that makes me think no is because if he wants to get traded, and that's probably the likely outcome, right? I don't think he's going to walk into free agency. If he wants to get traded, he has to showcase to a team, hey, I still have it. I'm still, still the number one it. pick. <laughs> I still can explode off the floor, and I'm not 350 pounds and fat now, which he is. So he's going to have to get his ass into shape. And I don't think a team's going to just take a chance on him willy nilly with all the injury problems he's having with this foot now over the last 12 months. And, you know, who do you want to believe? Do you want to believe the team and saying that, Oh, he really is hurt. Do you want to believe Zion? Do you, do you think he's just faking it and it's bull not faking it, but do you think it's bullshit and that he could probably come back to practice and probably could have been starting to play. Um, so I don't think a team's just going to take a shot in the dark on him. So I think we probably will see him play in a, in a, in a Pelicans uniform again, but it won't be meaningful, and it's not going to be for the future. I, I think his his days are very, very numbered in New Orleans. Should have just texted CJ McCollum, man. Sheesh. You know, like CJ's a good guy. He's the head of the NBA Players Association. Just text my boy. Like, come on. Like, that was J.J. Redick, bro. All, I love that J.J. Redick did that because – there's a lot of players in the league who got away get away with a lot of stuff. But this is a guy who we all love, who hasn't earned much in this league yet. Right? He's got one. He hasn't year. earned shit. He's had one good year under his belt. He was relatively healthy last year, and he was freaking awesome. Guess what? Text CJ McCollum, bro. It ain't like you traded for uh freaking Aaron Holiday and you didn't text him. It's CJ McCollum. Everybody loves him. He's the freaking head of the Players Association. Be like, yo, what up? Can't wait to see you if I ever come back. That's it. Done. Anyway, so let's move on. Final question, Pat, college basketball guy over there. Who is the number one pick in your eyes? Is it Jabari Smith out of Auburn, Chet Holgram out of Gonzaga, or Paolo Banchero from Duke? Uh, all three versatile, bigger players, one bigger than the next, really. It's a tough race right now. Maybe one guy leading the way. Who do you think is the number one pick in the NBA draft this year, Pat? I think it's Paolo. I think it's it's been Paolo since before he got to Duke. Um, watching his highlights in high school, sit, watching Duke very closely in November and December, seeing how he can carry them on a nightly basis now. Look, Jabari Smith has been fantastic, and who the hell saw Auburn being a number one team? Um, I don't think they're number one anymore when they, when they lost last week, but um, – Sorry, I had a cough. But I, I think it's still just in terms of being ready for the NBA. Paolo Boncaro was ready for the NBA. He could have, you know, if, the, if you still could have went high school to the NBA, he would have, and he probably would have been the number one overall pick. 6'10", 250 pounds, 17 and 8. You know, with the ability, he shows some flashes at times of being able to be a really good passer and distributor. There's times where he'll force it and turn it over. I mean, he's young, so, like, I'm not surprised. But he's only averaging, what, four turnovers for the year? Not even, sorry, two and a half turnovers. So it's not that bad, but the decision-making with him still can improve a lot. Um, and the three-point shooting, I don't know if, how much of a dangerous three-point shooter he's ever going to be. He's only shooting 30% from deep. 
but the fact that he can take over a game, get to the bucket at will, he's got the unreal athleticism. Like we said, he's 6'10". He's probably going to play a three or a four. And the fact that he you can slot him into almost any NBA team and he can play meaningful minutes next year, he's going to be the number one overall pick far and away. Yeah, and all three of these guys, man, all like Jabari and Paolo are both 6'10". Chet's seven foot. Like the, all three of these guys are huge. They're all game changers. Chet, I think, I think there'll be some nerves just based off body type. Well, we've seen these tall guys who are like a little bit too athletic for their bodies, like just get hurt, right? Porzingis comes to mind, obviously. Not that Porzingis was Chet Holmgren, right? But close, pretty damn close. Chet maybe a little more smooth, but I think some people will be nervous from him, even though he's really, really good and he can do a lot. He's he might be the best passer at all three of them, which is uh, enticing to see for a guy who can kind of run it from the top and you can't sag off because he'll knock down. So I, I think there's a chance Chet sneaks up, but I wouldn't bet on it. So I think the the frame is just going to scare people. Um, I think Jabari Smith is going to be the number one pick though. I think the shooting consistency is going to just awe so many franchises. And when he starts going to like the three workouts that he has to go to because he's the number one pick probably, they're going to be like, what? This guy is a human? Like, What is going on here? He's yoked. He is tall. He has a straight shot jumper that doesn't miss seemingly. He's like, I think he's going to wow people in workouts, and I think he'll be the number one pick, but it's going to be damn close. Exciting class. Exciting class. Maybe the Knicks will lose enough games to get one of those top three picks, Pat. Maybe. No, don't bank on it. Don't bank on it. I told you the Knicks are stuck in the middle, the mediocre middle. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, because Chet really can handle, especially for somebody that's yeah. seven foot and looks lanky as hell. Like, obviously, you could tell he was a guard at one point, and then all of a sudden, boom, he grew like a foot in, the, like, the span of a year and a half. So he's got really good handles, and he might be the best outside shooter out of all of them. Yeah. And his yeah. numbers his numbers are absurd. Like, obviously, when he's underneath the bucket, nobody in the, in the West Coast Conference is covering him. He's shooting 62% from the field, but he's hitting 45% of his threes. Like, he can shoot. And, but yeah. I think just in terms of, yeah, he needs to put on weight because he's, he's too, he's too lanky. But once, like, I think in three years, he might have the highest ceiling. Chet Holmgren, once he, once he fills out and he turns into, maybe puts on another inch and he's seven one two forty he's going to be an absolute force, an absolute animal. But I just think, I think the most ready for NBA right now is, is Paolo. And they all shoot 75% or above from free throw, which means their shooting should translate to the NBA. That's one of the big indicators. Um, it's kind of Chad Holgram's kind of like what Bull, what people wanted Bull Bull to be, you know, like this super lanky big guy who's like taking transition threes and whopping them. Like that's kind of who he actually is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and also protecting the rim because he's mad tall. Um, yeah, that's good stuff, Pat. This was this was fun, man. This is so fun. NBA talk. I texted you today. Any chance you want to get off some NBA takes? And you said yes. I would like to get off some NBA takes. And here we are. We got off a bunch of them. Did, did we leave anything out that maybe you even wanted to bring up? We can save it for next time. But any other storylines, any other teams, any other things NBA-related that uh, are tickling your fancy at the moment? No. No, I think we ran through most of it, man. Boom. How you feeling about the old MLB? That didn't get me started. Fucking joke. All right, good. I'm not going to get you started. We don't have we don't have 10 more minutes to go. I'm going to I'm gonna have to talk about it for probably an hour tomorrow because you know that the – the elder community of the fan is going to be dying. It's going to be, they're going to be dying to talk baseball, even though it's been an absolute shit show. They're going to be dying to talk it. So I'll, I'm definitely going to have to delve into it at some point in my show tomorrow. I can already hear you talking to a caller like, 
no, I don't want to hear it until there's any sort of progress. I don't want to hear anything about baseball and what they could have done and billionaires versus millionaires. No, none of it matters. I'm hearing it already. That's I mean, the fact, the fact that it's basically just come down to like luxury tax threshold and the CBT and like just basically the fact that these, you know, the, the players want to get paid more money and the owners aren't paying them. It's just, that's what it's come down to, right? Like take all the bullshit numbers and stats and acronyms out of it. Players want more money. The owners don't want to give them more money. Figure it the fuck out. And it, and I, and I side with the players and I'm feel like I'm most likely going to side with the players. Maybe that's because we're, we're younger. Yeah. Um, whereas you have the older crew, all oh, these guys are making millions of dollars, but then you realize like the owners are making billions of dollars. Yeah. And we the can only go off say, on. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, cause I, I had my, my own father said to me the other day about, Oh, it's just billionaires fighting millionaires. Like if they go through a lockout here again, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to come back from this one. I'm like, but the only thing I'll say to push back on that is, and he'll come back. Don't get me. Don't get it twisted. He'll be watching the Mets. Um, only thing I'd push back on is in this case, they're kind of fighting for the little guy a little bit too, the millionaires, right? Like the players want their big purses, of course, but they're also kind of fighting for getting to free agency at a more reasonable rate. They're fighting for minor leaguers, like in some cases here. So it's not just, they're, they're not just fighting for the person who's going to make $200 million contract. They're fighting for all of the people who might make a million dollar contract and like their career could be over in four years. So, like, you know, so it, it's a little bit deeper, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. We, we gotta, we gotta say goodbye now. That's it. Any last words, non-related fan tomorrow night, Thursday night into Friday morning, Pat Boyle 44 on the Instagrams and the Twitters. Any other plugs, any other last words? I'll have a fan show the week after as well. It'll be Wednesday going into Thursday. So that would be the morning of March 3rd. Beautiful. So you've got Friday, February 25th, 12 to 5, Thursday, March 3rd, 12 to 5. And hopefully we'll do another pod early next week where I can replug that as well. <laughs> oh, chef's kiss. Pat Boyle, as always, thank you so much. Can't wait to do it again. Can't wait for NBA to be back Thursday night. This is Subway Sports Talk. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, app Spotify, and now on YouTube. Other than that, I got nothing to say. Cheers.